0: Man, there is no better place to be than in the house of the Lord, because God is in this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. What an amazing morning of worship so far. My name is Mark Putman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. I'm so glad that you are here worshiping today. I'm delighted to be here with you uh, worshiping, and glad that you've chosen to worship with us in person this morning. Also. Would like to say good morning to those of you that are worshiping with us through our live stream today we are glad to be worshiping you with you as well well as you know we're in our second week of this sermon series about the life of the prophet elijah now elijah was one of the greatest prophets that ever lived in the nation of israel in so many ways he was this larger-than-life kind of person. And he did so many things that were just amazing. We're reading about those in our Bible reading plan. And yet, at the same time, the Bible in the book of James tells us that Elijah was a man just like us, just like us. So instead of putting him up high on this pedestal where we might not think that we could ever possibly relate to him we're looking at his life as a man as a person who is just like us so that we can learn some lessons from him that are good for us to know in our day in our age in our time and in our place well if you remember from last week elijah was sent by god to king ahab of israel To tell him that God was going to be sending a drought upon the nation. This was because Ahab was doing all kinds of things that the Lord considered evil in his sight. For one, he had married a foreign woman and and made her his queen. Her name was Jezebel and she kept leading her husband Ahab and through him the entire nation of Israel down the wrong path by worshiping foreign gods, idols especially the god Baal. Ahab had actually built a temple to Baal in the capital city of Samaria, and he had made an altar for Baal there. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings 21 that there was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by his wife Jezebel. He behaved in the vilest manner, going after idols. And so Elijah announces the drought to King Ahab, and then God tells Elijah to get out of town, to hightail it far away, because that drought is going to really tick Ahab off. And so first, Elijah went to the wilderness east of the Jordan River, where he hid out and was fed by ravens, and then God sent him to the clear other end of the of the nation to the Mediterranean Sea, to the area of Sidon and and the town of Zarephath, where a widow took care of him for three years during the drought. And so since that part of the story from last week until the part that we're gonna take a look at today, as I said, three years, three years have passed. You can imagine how bad the drought had become. You can imagine how much the people were suffering. And all of this because Ahab and the people of Israel had divided hearts. They had divided their loyalty between the one true God and the gods of all the nations around them, like Baal. They were hedging their bets, if you will. They were hoping that they could have their cake and eat it too. They were hoping that they could have it both ways but that is not possible with the God of Israel we see the God of Israel is a jealous God the God of Israel wants all of us all of us all of our hearts, all of our worship all of our focus, all of our adoration and whenever we worship anyone or anything other than the one true God all we do is end up making trouble In our lives. And so the best basic question from the Bible for us this morning is this Who is the real, true God? And to which God will we give our ultimate loyalty? Well, we can only find the true answers to our question in God's Word, can't we? And so, taking a look at first Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, the Bible tells us after a long time. In the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill. Any of our animals And so they divided the land They were to cover Ahab going in one direction And Obadiah in the other As Obadiah was walking along Elijah met him And Obadiah recognized him And he bowed down to the ground And said, is it really you My lord, Elijah Yes, he replied Go tell your master Elijah is here I love this next part what have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to, put, to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And wherever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. And if I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me elijah said as the lord almighty lives whom i serve i will surely present myself to ahab today well when elijah hears that the lord is going to end this drought he begins to make his way back home to samaria to tell ahab and on his way he meets obadiah who we're told is a palace, the palace administrator in Ahab's palace. This is a very prestigious position. It comes with a lot of trust. If we were to think about it in terms that we might better understand today, we might think of Obadiah as the chief of staff in the White House. Obadiah must have had a lot of trust. He must have been a hard worker. He must have really somehow garnered all of the trust of Ahab, but Obadiah was in a tough position because we're told that he is a devout believer in the Lord and because Ahab and his wife Jezebel were not believers in the Lord, Obadiah probably had to keep his own faith like on the down low, you know, keep it kind of in the background, hidden from the master that he served. I mean, Jezebel and Ahab were bringing in hundreds of prophets of Baal from Jezebel's homeland in Phoenicia. And then Jezebel started systematically killing off all of the prophets of God, just killing them off so that only the prophets of Baal would be left. And so Obadiah gathered up some of them, a hundred of them were told, and he hides 50 in one cave and 50 in a different cave. And then while this drought is going on, he manages to take care of them by taking food and water to them on a regular basis. Can you imagine how tough that would have been to do secretly, especially when there was very little water and very little food to go around? And despite the fact that no one else in the palace was following the God of Israel anymore, Obadiah did. Now, he might not have been able to be very overt or completely upfront about it, but nevertheless, he was an influence in the place where he worked some of you today might work in places where you are not able to be very open about your faith some of you might even work in an environment that you might think of as downright godless but i think one thing that we can learn from this text that we're studying this morning and from obadiah is that we can be devout followers of god even In places like that, wherever God places us, we can be devout followers of God. Some people want to be Christians, but they don't want their following of Christ to cost them anything, or at least not to cost them very much. But you know what? Following God is hard. It's going to be hard. Being a witness of God, always doing what is right is hard, but that is what God calls us to do, to witness wherever we are, to do what is right wherever we are, to actually pay attention, to be alert at all times for even the smallest of things that might separate us or cause us to do something that we know wouldn't be pleasing to God. Working and living with integrity wherever God places us. My friends, being a follower of God is gonna cost us something. Jesus said we all have to take up our cross and follow him. He says that in this world, we will have trouble, but he's overcome the world. So not everything you ever do is going to be pleasing to other people. It's not gonna be pleasing when you refuse to tell a white lie. It won't be pleasing when someone asks you to fudge the books just a little bit. It won't be pleasing When you're asked to pull the wool over a customer's eyes, selling them something that they don't really need just to make a sale, the faithful devotion to God is going to cost us something. And Obadiah's devotion cost him something. Obadiah had to live in fear for his position in the palace. Maybe he even feared for his own life. Think about it. If he was found to be hiding 100 prophets of the Lord. And serving Ahab must have been tough. Have you ever had a tough boss? Imagine if your boss was Ahab. I mean, this drought had dragged on for three years and everybody was suffering. And as the king, Ahab should have been concerned for his subjects, shouldn't he? For the people that he'd been called to rule. He should have been concerned for them and alleviating their suffering. But what was his first priority? Do you remember? Was it his people? It was his animals. Ahab cared more for his horses and mules than he did his own people. He was concerned for his animals because those were what the royal family rode on, what other nobles rode on, what the military needed to carry out Ahab's plans. You see, whenever we take our eyes off the one true God, whenever we put our eyes on an idol, we begin to go down a slippery slope of selfishness, don't we? Because that's what idol worship does. That's what idols are. They call us to take our eyes off God and to put our eyes on ourselves, what what we want, our own selfish desires. And so King Ahab rounds up Obadiah and he says, let's split up the land. You go one way, I'll go another. And we're going to look for food and water for my animals. And it was on this mission that Obadiah runs into Elijah. And as a devout worshiper of God, Eli- Obadiah has respect for Elijah, who is one of God's prophets, and so he bows down low to the ground, and then when Elijah instructs Obadiah to go and tell the king, he says to say this simple statement, Elijah is here, it practically sends Obadiah into an outright panic. I mean, after all, Elijah has this habit of, of, of disappearing whenever Ahab is on the lookout for him. This drought had made King Ahab very angry, and so he had been looking all over for Elijah for three years and unable to find him anywhere. And so three times Elijah told Obadiah to announce to Ahab, Elijah is here. And three times Obadiah expresses his fear, his panic. Partly because I think he is afraid to announce that Elijah is here if Elijah were to disappear again. But that might make the king angry and then the king would kill Obadiah. But there's another reason too, a very interesting reason that Obadiah doesn't want to announce to King Ahab, the simple phrase Elijah is here. For you see in Hebrew, the Aramaic language that, that Elijah and Ahab would have spoken The phrase Elijah is here, it's pronounced something like Hine Eliyahu, can also be heard and interpreted to mean lo, the Lord is my God. Or it could mean my God is Yahweh. Now it's one thing to go and tell Ahab Elijah's here. But what if he hears it as Obadiah proclaiming, Yahweh is my God. You're not the Lord. God is my Lord. Maybe Obadiah was fearful of declaring his allegiance to God publicly to Ahab and Jezebel. Because after all, he was probably afraid of being killed for his allegiance to Yahweh and not to the false idolatrous God Baal. You know, it's not always easy or accepted to declare our allegiance to God out loud and in public But finally, Elijah assures Obadiah that he's not going anywhere, that he won't disappear again. And so Obadiah gets up his courage and announces Elijah to Ahab. And Ahab goes out to meet Elijah. Verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said, but you and your family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Pretty gutsy, don't you think? Can you imagine having to stand up to Ahab, who's a follower, a worshiper, of Baal? I mean, Ahab could have arrested Elijah on the spot. He could have killed him on the spot. It's kind of ironic. It's very ironic, don't you think? Jezebel is killing the prophets of God. Ahab is leading the entire nation into apostasy. And Elijah is the troubler? Come on. Come on. Our pluralistic way of thinking, you know, you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and it'll all be good. Or you worship your God, and I'll worship your God, and we'll all get along together. It's nothing new, is it? It's been going on since way back in Elijah's day. And today, we live in a, a postmodern, a post-Christian world. I mean, there used to be five major religions, but now people just pick and choose from all of the religions, the one or two things they like, and then they throw out the other things that they don't like, and we just kind of make our own religion up, purely individual. And the gospel story, the story in the Bible tells us that We have been so seriously damaged as human beings that sin has wrecked us so much that we don't need this little self-help project. We don't need a little self-improvement project. We need a full-on rescue. We need a savior. It tells us that we've fallen so far from the truth that we can't even find the truth on our own anymore if left to our own devices. You know, when people have been so thirsty for water, if they see something, even polluted water, they'll drink it. If we're dying of starvation and there's some food, even if it's bad food, we'll eat it. There are lots of different ways of explaining what's going on today. Psychologists will have us think that, that a spiritual hunger or thirst is just all in our imagination or our longing for a father figure. Science will tell us that maybe there's this gene in our DNA that makes us um, search for, for some higher power. Secularists would have us believe that thirsting and spiritual um, uh, spiritual thirst is all just a hoax. It's hocus-pocus. And others will say that it's simply relativism. Maybe someone has said to you something like, you know, your, your faith is right for you, but my faith is right for me, and so... That's just the way the world goes around. And while that might sound accepting and tolerant, what people are really doing when they say what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me is they're changing what truth even means. That's not what truth is. Truth is is an absolute. It's something that doesn't change for you or, or for me. What they're really saying is that it's what I feel inside, not what's real in the absolute world. For what I feel. And that is the fundamental mistake that Ahab makes. Baal or Yahweh. He's saying, does it really matter who we worship? You see, the source of Ahab's trouble is not Elijah. His trouble is himself. The only trouble is he doesn't even see that. Not yet, anyway. And so Elijah says that it's time for a showdown. Verse 19, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, Elijah says, and bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between these two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And you know what the people said? They said nothing. They were silent. So Elijah says, No more sitting on the fence. Elijah calls the people to make a choice. It's like the people are trying to have it both ways. They they can't make up their mind who they want to serve. Their leader, on one hand, is promoting Baal, and it's natural for most of us to want to follow what our leader is telling us to do, right? And it's awfully tempting to just go along with what everybody else is doing, too. Like Joshua had said so many years before, choose this day whom you will serve. Elijah is telling The Israelites, the exact same thing. Quit wavering. Make a choice. Will you choose God or will you choose Baal? Jesus himself warns us that we cannot serve two masters. We have to make a choice. But the people that day, that day when Elijah spoke to them, remained silent. They didn't want to choose. They wanted to have it all. They wanted to have a little Baal over here and a little Asherah over here and just a little bit of the Lord God over here. They weren't all that different than us. I mean, think about it. We want a little pleasure, a little happiness, a little selfishness, a little lust, a little bit of whatever it is we want. And a little bit of church on Sunday morning so we can start our week offline. We want to have it both ways. We wanna hang on to all the things that make us happy. But Elijah challenged the people in that day and God's word in Elijah challenges us today. Verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bowls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, sounds like a good idea. What you say is good. And so both sides agreed upon the terms whichever god sent the flash of fire to consume the sacrifice was the true god and so the contest began early early in the morning and the priests of baal started calling upon their god Baal all morning long and morning stretched on into noon time and they began to to pray even louder the priests of baal were growing Frantic and, and throwing themselves into frenzy. They prayed until three o'clock in the afternoon and all they got from their God was silence. And so Elijah starts to tease them just a little bit, to taunt them just a little bit. What's the matter? Where's your God? Oh, maybe he's busy right now. Is he on vacation right now? Oh, maybe he's indisposed and he can't talk to you right now. Well, this got the prophets of Baal even more worked up. They shouted louder and louder to their God. They began to cut themselves in ritualistic cutting until they bled. And still they got no answer. And then it was Elijah's turn. And he started by repairing the altar of the Lord, which had been ruined. He took 12 stones and stacked them up, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. You can imagine how this might have ticked off some of the people in Israel. Remember, this was a divided kingdom. They had had a civil war some years earlier, and the 12 tribes weren't even part of the same nation anymore. There were 10 tribes that were the northern kingdom of Israel, over which Ahab is king, and two tribes that were the southern kingdom of Judah. And Elijah knew that God's people are one people, all 12 tribes of them, always together. And so he acknowledges this before God. Symbolically, And when the altar was built, and the firewood was set, and the bull was prepared, he called on some of the Israelites to pour water on the sacrifice three times until it was absolutely drenched, soaked, through and through, saturated. And then Elijah prayed. And unlike the lengthy song and dance of the prophets of Baal, his prayer was only two sentences. Verse 36. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And fire fell. Fire fell in a big way from heaven, and it burned up everything. It burned up the the bull, the sticks, and the altar, and all of the water. And the people fell. They fell on their faces and worshipped. The showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah reminds us that we cannot give our allegiance to two different gods. We cannot sit on the fence. We cannot waver. It reminds us that we have to make a decision and that even not making a decision is making a decision. Maybe you can relate this morning. Maybe you've been thinking about giving your life to Jesus for quite a while now, but you just haven't been sure about it up until this point. You want to, on one hand, but on the other hand, you're having an awfully good time. You're not quite so sure you want to give up some of that fun you're having yet. And so you put it off for just a little while longer until the time is right. When I know I'll be ready, we're all good at putting things off, aren't we? Or we could put it off until tomorrow forever, but tomorrow never comes. It's so easy to convince ourselves that there's plenty of time, that there's another day, but we are not guaranteed any other days. Now is the day. Now is the time. Not one of us is guaranteed any tomorrows. And so if you've been meaning to become a follower of Jesus Christ, today is the day. Today is the day to get off the fence and make that decision. But I believe something in this story is for all of us, even those of us who've been Christ followers for a long time. It has a message for the Christ follower who feels like she has to keep it on the down low. It has a message for the Christ follower who has a life to live, who feels like his allegiance keeps getting pulled in multiple directions all the time. Because like Obadiah, You have a boss to serve, don't you? You have a career to protect. Maybe you even feel at times like you have a life to preserve. I think there are a lot of us here in the room today who maybe feel our closest kinship to Obadiah. It's that fear of, of jumping all in, feet first, being totally out there with our faith that prevents us from being fully devoted followers of Christ. We're afraid to announce even that Elijah is here, let alone, lo, the Lord is my God. How loud and in public. So I think there's a challenge today for every single one of us in this room. And we know, we absolutely know what we have to do. And we know, we absolutely know what we have to not do anymore. And so let today be that day Turn away from anything, no matter what it is that keeps you even the slightest bit from being a fully devoted follower of God through Jesus Christ. Get off the fence. Choose the side of the one true God. Don't put it off any longer. Would you pray with me? Holy One, Jehovah, the one true God of Israel, we praise you and adore you. We thank you, God, for your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, which challenges us each and every day of our life journey with you. God, I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help those of us that are here today that are seeking to make a first-time commitment to Christ to do just that, to jump all in, to say, I'm out there. The Lord is my God. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, surrender. For those of us, God, that are timid at times, that... We put the idols of this world, our jobs, our prestige, power, money, any of those things, help us to lay aside those false idols, God, and also jump all in and be holy and completely devoted to you, the one true God of Israel, the God above all gods, the only true God that ever has been, who is now, and who will always be. This we pray in Jesus' name.